Hey everybody, my name is Patrick, and I just wanted to say welcome to Kensington Online. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Uh, today's going to be an incredible day. We have an amazing opener that you're going to hear in just a few minutes. Uh, but we also have a message from Colin Hartfield. And Carlin, uh, Colin is uh, one of our church planners in Boston. Uh, and they're planning a church called the Movement Boston. And he and his wife Liz will be here. You're going to get to hear a little bit of their story. Uh, but you're also going to get to hear a message on what it looks like to trust God for really big things and to have an open-handed kind of posture when it comes to your whole life. I think every single one of us needs that. I think every single one of us probably struggles with that at some point or another. And I feel like this message is going to be so helpful for you today. Uh, we also want to say thank you so much to everybody who's following us on social media. If you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and you're liking and sharing the content, we just wanted to say thanks so much for partnering with us in that way. Now, I think we're about to get going again. This opener is going to be incredible, and we hope you love it.
Well, good morning, Kensington. How are we feeling this morning? We feeling pretty good? Yeah. How many of you are excited about Christmas? How many of you are scared of Christmas already? Anybody? Yeah. How many of you already got all your Christmas shopping done? Anybody already got everything done? Stop. Put your hand. Stop. No, no, I'm just kidding. I wish I did. I went Black Friday shopping and ended up just buying an iPhone for myself. So it wasn't really a great, uh, wasn't really a great thing. Hey, my name is Patrick. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're so glad that you decided to join us today. Uh, if it's your first time, uh, you're in for a treat uh, because today uh, you're going to get to hear from one of my favorite people over the next few minutes, and you're going to have a great service. And we just kicked off like with a fun song. Did you guys like that one? The band great, and they do a fantastic job. So good. That's one of my favorite songs. They let me pick the opener this week, and that was, that's what we're doing. So anyway, hey, we got a couple of announcements for you uh, before we jump into everything. Uh, and real quick, where are all the ladies at in the room? Can I hear you ladies in the room? Yeah, you are. Fellas, we'll talk to you later. But ladies, uh, we have a women's Christmas dinner that's coming up, and it's going to be December 4th. Uh, and we'd love for you to join us. If you've never been to one of our women's ministry events, we would love for you to attend and just kind of take part in this. This is a great, like, first step into that environment. Uh, there's going to be a lot of women that are there. No fellas are allowed, and they, we have KFC for you. So it's going to be a great—I'm kidding. But what if, Right. Biscuits for everybody. No, it's going to be a great meal, um, and we would love for you to join us for that. It's December 4th. Uh, you can come right here to the church. It's going to be a great night uh, for that. Now, with Christmas kind of just around the corner, uh, Christmas is one of uh, kind of our peak times here at our church. In fact, uh, just a little over 50,000 people will attend a Kensington uh, campus uh, during Christmas Eve, kind of that whole week. And so it's a big deal around here. You're going to hear a little bit more about that today. Uh, but we wanted to give you a quick preview on what the service was actually going to be about. Uh, and so to do that, we have a little teaser video, so let's watch this video together. He said it's in the town of David. It shouldn't be much further. We need to keep following the star. It appears to have stopped over in that direction. Come this way. It'll be very quiet. Mary's very tired. You're hungry. The chili's been cooking all day. Did you bring the spices? I bring red pepper flakes, cayenne pepper, and cumin. We come bearing the gift of unleavened cornbread. Mm. So, so, so did you put beans in it this time? I did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, <laughs> we'll send you out. Oh, okay. miles. You can, you can. Anybody have some? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fun. Who puts cumin in their chili, though? Yeah, you clap for that. So let me tell you what we're talking about. So Christmas Eve, during all of our services, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the thought and explore the idea of what would have happened if Jesus were never born, right? And not just from, like, a perspective when we kind of, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, kind of think of it from that way, but from a, an entire, like, historical perspective, if Jesus were never born, what were the principles that we may have never heard about? If Jesus were never born, what are the things that we may have never uh, talked about? If Jesus were never born, what are the things uh, throughout all of history that maybe were connected to him that wouldn't be here or be possible. And so we're going to be talking about that at Christmas Eve. Now, I would challenge you to this. When it comes to Christmas Eve, uh, all of our services are geared uh, specifically for people who have questions about faith, aren't followers of Jesus. And the interesting thing about Christmas Eve and those services is that people who don't usually go to church will go to church on Christmas Eve. It's kind of funny. They'll show up a lot of times 
we have Easter services, Christmas services, or when we do a sex series. People just kind of show up for those series. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, and so Christmas Eve is one of those times. And I would tell you this. We would love for you just to invite a few people with you uh, and bring those people with you to the service. Now, in light of that, uh, because we have so many people that attend our church and attend our campuses uh, with that, we do what we call Christmas tickets around here, uh, which sounds kind of weird when you hear it for the first time. You know, like you have to you know, pay or you have to get tickets to go to church. That's not it at all. This is really just kind of a, a big RSVP to let us know how many people are coming. So here's what I would love to ask everybody to do in the room. How many of you have a smartphone? You have like an iPhone or you have an Android device? Anybody? Okay. So here's what I'd love you to do. If you would, I'd love you to pull that out real quick. Uh, you can pull out your phone. I'm going to ask you to go to And right on the big kind of main page, there's a big banner that just says Christmas tickets. Now, what this does is this just helps us prepare for you and your family uh, to come. It takes about 15 seconds to do. And all you have to do is just say, hey, here's who we are. We're coming with, you know, 47 people. I don't know. That'd be a really big Christmas Eve dinner. You're coming with however many people you're coming with. Uh, and we're planning on attending this service. So if you could just let us know that, uh, that helps us out a ton just so that we can be ready for you uh, during that time. Now, uh, as you're kind of doing that, again, uh, Christmas Eve is a big deal. We're going to be doing a little bit more around that and talking a little bit more about that. But as we kind of get ready for the rest of the service, I'd love you to do this. I'd love you to go ahead and stand up, kind of stretch out and give three or four people around you a high five and ask them this question. Ask them, have you put up your Christmas tree yet? Go ahead, give them three or four people around you a high five. Ask them, have you put up your Christmas tree yet?
was grateful this morning. Anybody? I'll right, sing this again. And as we lift our hands, the heavens open, heavens open. So let our lives declare the love our God has spoken over us. And as we lift our You guys sound so good this morning. Uh, so awesome to be here with you. Um, we just led you in a song called Grateful, talking about gratitude. So fitting coming out of Thanksgiving. And when I think about gratitude, you know, one word comes to mind, along with all the stuff, all the stuff that God blesses us with. But grace is something that just, man, just resounds in my mind and my heart. And when I think of grace, when I've encountered that, when, when maybe a coworker helped me out with something where I didn't deserve to be helped out with, or maybe a teacher did something for me, or wherever you're at, maybe whatever your experience might be, we've all experienced some sort of undeserving thing that's happened to us, and we, th- we thought, man, that's grace, that's really what God means, and this next song we're going to teach you called Reckless Love, and it's God's love recklessly pursuing us when we don't deserve it. And that's what the song talks about. So I encourage you, let the song just minister to you, wash over you. If you want to listen to it, feel comfortable to do that. If you want to sing, you're more than welcome to sing. Uh, we're going to lead, it, lead you guys right now. No, the other 
You know, if, if you're here today and you would say, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm a follower of Jesus. I wouldn't say that I'm a Christian. I wouldn't say that I'm connected to those things. One of my favorite things to do is to actually read the lyrics on some of the songs that we sing. Because I think that song gives you the greatest picture about what we believe about Christianity that separates it from everything else. And that's that you're not good enough, that I'm not good enough, that nobody in this room is good enough, that we're all united by one thing, and that's brokenness. That we all have brokenness in our lives. The truth of the matter is, no matter how much brokenness we have, no matter what's not right in our hearts, no matter what's not right in our lives, the beautiful part is that we believe that Jesus has been recklessly pursuing our hearts through love from the beginning. And he does that no matter what you've done. He does that no matter what you're going to continue to do, that there is a God who looks at you and he looks at you in a personal way and says, I love you no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing now, no matter what you will do in the future. Thanks so much for singing with us. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, along those same lines, uh, a few weeks ago, we did uh, baptisms here at our church, and uh, we actually baptized 15 people. Several of them were students. Uh, several of them were adults, and, uh, and what we did is we captured their stories. And for those of you who would call Kensington home and say that this is a place that you worship, I, I think for us, we wanted to give you kind of a glimpse of the life change that's kind of taken place in their lives, not just through baptism, but through their stories as well. And so for these next few minutes, uh, I want you to get a picture of maybe some of their stories and what God has been doing in their hearts and their lives. And for those of you who would say that you're not, you know, a follower of Jesus or you're here and you're kind of visiting or somebody invited you and they promised you lunch afterwards and so you're here for the free lunch, that's totally fine. I would do the exact same thing. But over these next few minutes, uh, I want you to kind of look at this through the lens of where in their story is my story. Like what is it that they're saying that maybe I could connect to um, and they might be true of you as well. So let's watch this video together. I had an event happen in my life that was just kind of a really big downer. I just felt God and the Holy Spirit just say, I'm choosing you now. It's your time. I started making phone calls. I started setting up a support system that was completely Christ-centered, and it just started blowing up from there. My entire life started changing in ways that it's never changed before. I'm not alone, and I know that I'm not alone anymore, and it's no longer in the back of my head. It's in my heart. I have spent a lot of time, not, I wouldn't say hiding my faith, but just kind of keeping it quiet, and I'm at a place in my life now where I'm... I'm ready to proclaim it to the world. I'm ready for everyone to know. Well, I was in Bulgaria, and it's a, like a country, and it's like 17 hours away from here. I heard that me and my brother will be adopted. I was really happy that we can learn about Jesus, and I was really excited that I can learn more about him and know about him and how he died for us. When I was in, in Bulgaria, and I, I had a really bad life, so I was thinking that I'm not gonna keep it anymore in my head, the bad things that happened to me. Like, I just wanna give it everything to God. I had this like hole in my heart, um, and like, I just needed, like, I was putting stuff like in like that hole to like try and fill it, but I ended up just like, not being enough, so I'd have to like, find something else to do. 
to try and fill it, but like I found like Jesus, and then it just like kind of filled it, and it didn't like go away. It just stayed. So I just I just felt good. I'm comfortable like now, and so I want to go more out of my comfort zone. And I felt like the next step was getting baptized and letting everybody know that I'm a Christian and that I believe in Jesus and I believe in God. I went to Lake in camp in fourth grade, and I was saved by Jesus. I understood that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and what all that means. I want to express how I feel about Jesus with other people and how God does all these amazing things for us and we should be grateful. At Weekend Camp, I learned about some of Jesus' many stories. You follow Jesus no matter what. I want them to see the better side of me that I can be confident and that I can be trusted. Well, my brother said that he got baptized, and I'm like, you know, um, I asked Jesus into my heart, well, maybe I could get baptized to show other people that I let him in my heart. So I told my mommy. It shows people that you believe in God and you put all your faith in him. I was in a nightclub. I was looking for um, maybe my future husband, who knows, and uh, the lights got dark and the music got quiet and God said really clear to me, Kim, the most important relationship you will have is the one you have with me. And um, so the next day I went to church and figured that I better start focusing on that relationship. For anyone that's at Kensington who has been praying for the one to fill the seat that I'm one of the ones that people have been praying for. I am the one who was out there and I didn't even know I was lost. And I came here and I feel I feel found and I feel that it is because of the prayers and the intention that this church has. So I'm grateful to be here. The reason we wanted to show you that and the beautiful part about those stories and the reason that for a lot of us that feels very emotional is because you know, just like I know, that those stories aren't because of a pastor and those stories aren't because of a worship band and those stories aren't because of a stage and they're not because of lights. Those stories are people just like you who are involved and are, in fact, the church, right? The church is a group of people who are kind of committed to a mission together, and you go out into the community and you live that. And those stories for kids, those stories for middle school students, those stories for high school students, and those stories with those adults happen because people just like you, because people just like you, give their time, because they give their efforts, they give their energy, because they pray for people, because they invite other people, uh, and, and those kinds of things. And so I just wanted to say this, and, and I, I feel like we say thank you kind of week in and week out for giving, but what I wanted to say to you is thank you so much for partnering with us. Over the last year and a half, so many of you have partnered with us in so many different ways, and we've seen so many people come to know Christ, and that's because of people just like you who are the church in our community, and we just wanted to say thank you so much. Um, and when you came in, uh, we gave you one of these packets. I'd love for you to go ahead and pull that out real quick, uh, because because we are a church. Uh, there's a part of a group of churches, uh, really here, Metro Detroit, and then down in Orlando uh, as well. And uh, with that group of churches, oftentimes you come in Sunday after Sunday, you serve in the ways that you serve, you're part of these things. It's a beautiful thing that we're part of, but sometimes we miss what's happening globally in our movement. And what I want to
wanted to do is just kind of let you know a little bit about what's going on. And so as you're reading through this, I wanted to really direct uh, your attention uh, to page 10 uh, in your book. I want to make sure that's right. Yep, page 10. Uh, on page 10, you're going to see a couple of pictures, and you can flip through this, you know, obviously on your own as well. Um, but when it comes to what we're a part of, we're a part of what we do here in Traverse City, but we're also part of something uh, that's really happening all over the world. Uh, when you give to Kensington, when you volunteer, when you are part of this place, you're a part of a global movement. Uh, in fact, a little over half a million people, right? I want to say that one more time because sometimes that's a big number, right? Over half a million people globally were impacted because of people like you who gave and were part of volunteering, going on mission trips, and those sorts of things. Our global partnerships, we have seven global partnerships. Those global partnerships all over the world have reached a little over half a million people. Now, there's a lot of different things that we're involved in, uh, but one of the things that probably tugs at my heart the most is what we're able to do with young girls that are involved in sex trafficking on the other side of the world. Uh, Over the last year, we have seen hundreds of these girls come out of a place where they were being trafficked for sexuality, pulled out of those environments, and not only were they pulled out of those environments, but now that they are being trained in jobs and skills, we've given them a new place to be, and we've planted hundreds of churches, these house churches all over uh, the, the world, where these things are happening, where these girls are coming out of that area, and then getting a job, and then all of a sudden being a part of these local church communities. Now, you hear those kinds of things, and it's exciting, and it's staggering, and it's emotional, but that only happens because of people like you who give. Uh, now, week in and week out, we challenge you to be generous. We challenge you to talk about, you know, like in your family, what does it look like for us to sacrifice? And we talk about it within the context of you, right? Because we believe that when you're generous, it does something to your heart. It shapes your heart. It does something in your family. Uh, but there's a whole other piece of this that oftentimes we know, but we don't acknowledge, is that when you give and when you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself, you are giving to a movement that is helping to change the lives of people all over the world. And so when it comes to year in giving, uh, most nonprofits are like this. Uh, churches are like this as well. But when it comes to year in giving, a significant part of what we're able to do actually comes in in the last four to six weeks of the year. A lot of people give at the last uh, kind of part of the year. Uh, my wife and I are doing the same thing. We give consistently, but at the same time, at the end of the year, we're always asking ourselves the question, what would God have us to do? Uh, maybe it's this kind of year end. What is it that we could sacrifice? What is it that we could give wholeheartedly to? And so here's my challenge to you. For those of you who would call Kensington home, for those of you who have been a part of this place, for those of you who are here, my challenge to you is that when it comes to a year-end kind of offering or when it comes to year-end giving, I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself this week and next week, what is it that God might be doing in your heart? And what might God be doing in your heart to give above and beyond what you've done in the past, right? What is it that God might be kind of moving inside of you to say, you know what, we wanted to do this, but we might sacrifice to do something that's a part of something bigger. That we were planning on this, but we're actually going to sacrifice that on behalf of something that is coming up later on. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, if you call Kensington home, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of this place, I'm going to ask you to seriously ask yourself that question. And then this week and next week, really, and as a family or as a single person, really kind of dive into what God might be having you to do. Again, not just so that we can do things here, not just so that we can do all this kind of stuff, but so that we can reach out to people all over the world and continue to do the kinds of life-changing movement sort of things uh, that are only made possible because of you. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can do this. I want to go ahead and invite our ushers to move forward. Uh, You can obviously give in any of our services. We would love to invite you to do that. We have blue, I'm settling on pouches that we're going to send around. Uh, So you have those kinds of things that you can give in service. But for those of you who do that, here's my challenge to you. That is one of the ways that you can give, but one of the easier ways to give, and I would say probably one of the better ways to give, is you can actually give on our app, our website, or through text. All of those take about 30 seconds. 
seconds to do. Uh, you can automate your giving that way. There's a lot of easier ways to do it. Uh, if you'll choose to do app giving, uh, website giving, or text giving, that's how our family does it. We find that it's just significantly easier to do it that way. Uh, and so you can obviously give your year-end gift that way as well, uh, or you can give like your, your weekly contributions or your monthly, however you do that sort of thing, uh, through those avenues of giving. But we would just say, hey, that's one of the ways that you can do that from your year-end giving or from a, a consistent giving standpoint. Now, uh, having said all that, uh, today you're going to get to hear from a, a couple of people that are actually doing what I would talk about in terms of missionary work here in the States. Uh, and so I, uh, we have a, a couple that has recently planted a church. Uh, they were part of our Kensington family. They're still a part of our Kensington family, but now they're just doing it from Boston. Uh, and they have an amazing story about how God has prompted them in their heart and in their lives to do something that in some ways feels like it's bigger than them. It's a big step of faith. Uh, and you're going to get to hear a little bit of their story. But to do that, we have a video kind of chronicling what God has been doing in their lives. So let's watch this video together. Yeah, my name's Colin. This is my wife, Liz. Uh, we've been living in Michigan for about 18 or 19 years. Um, uh, we have three kids, Eden, Elise, and Micah. I work at Kensington Church. I lead an internship program there. I've been doing that for the last five years. Yeah, and I work at Kensington too, of course, um, overseeing discipleship for the Troy campus. It's perfect. Life is great right now. It's a 10. I mean, no complaints. Live in the house of our dreams, have great schools, love our community. We actually have family that live nearby. They all moved from other parts of the world to live near us. And yet, for the last few years, there's just been this restlessness. God challenging us about our lives and um, calling us into something different. So it was about uh, two and a half years ago, I saw a, a, a report done by a Christian researcher describing the least Bible-minded cities in the country. Uh, Providence, Boston, Massachusetts, and Manchester, New Hampshire, those cities all up uh, the northeast coast in New England, were statistically the least Bible-minded cities in the, in the country. It's clear that that part of the, the world is extremely post-Christian. The decision to make faith at the center of those communities in that part of the country has been replaced by uh, a desire for academics, achievement, self-reliance. It seems as though the culture doesn't even have going to church on the radar. Like, when you go um, to look for a house, people put their houses, they have an open house to sell their house. They schedule them between 10 and 12 on a Sunday morning. Going to church, having that be a part of your rhythm of your life, it seems as though that's not even part of people's um, routine. I realized at one point that I'd spent the last three months praying for New England every single day. And I kind of told Liz that one night by accident in conversation with a few people. And she said, wait a minute, did you say you'd prayed every day for three months for New England? You know, you, you don't do anything every day. Like, you barely brush your teeth every day. <laughs> it's a British thing. Um, but, uh, but like, we, we just realized that something about the need had grabbed my heart like nothing else had done before. And, and she said, well, you, we've just got to take a trip out there. Actually, I said, we've got to take a trip out there and get this out of your system. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Because I was like, <laughs> I don't want to go there. I don't know why you keep talking about this place. You've never been. You don't know anybody. How do you even, you know, why do we even keep talking about this? And why do you even care? Because at the time, I really didn't. And I just noticed that there just weren't churches on every corner. And that's not like here. That stuck out to me. And by the end of the four days that we were there, I started to have a bit of a vision of what could happen. What would it be like if 
there were people who were going there deliberately to reach people who didn't want to be a part of church or who didn't, or maybe had a, a skewed version of who God really is. Boston is a city that develops influencers for the world. A lot of our presidents are trained at Harvard or other schools where they're prepared to, to be world influencers. Um, I think that Jesus is the, the best teacher for how to really make the changes in the world that we want to see. And if we could introduce people to Jesus, I believe that we can really be a part of world change. Are you guys having fun yet? There was this leadership conference that happened at Kensington, and Dave Nelson was one of the key speakers at that. He was a church planner who planted in Salt Lake City, and he, he came and shared his a little bit of his story in church planning in a place where a lot of people don't know Jesus. And so you don't give up until your brother or your coworker or your neighbor or your friend knows Jesus. He talked about how when Jesus invited his followers he asked them to lay down their nets and follow him. And then he would make them fishers of men. And immediately we felt like I was challenged. We turned to each other and we were like... We're kicking each other under the table. <laughs> and we knew that there was something that about that that God was directly challenging us about and about laying down our nets. We knew what our net was. Our net for us at that moment, we knew it was our perfect life that we have here our great jobs that we have, the ministry that was very fruitful, we felt like God was saying, will you lay that down? Um, loss is hard. And every time there's a change, there's a loss. And so there's a grieving that's a part of this whole thing. It is a uh, laying down a lot of the dream that you thought your life would be like. You thought, I always thought we would have, I wanted to have family living nearby and being able to have um, just the holidays and things with around people that, that makes it easy, just being able to call them and hang out with them. Um, and so laying that down and not knowing what we're stepping into, it's waking up every day and paddling through the fear and actually choosing to embrace trusting God over the fear that he won't come through. I mean, there's, a, there's definitely risk involved, but there's also this belief that we have that we know, who, we know God's character. We know that he has been over and over again in our lives faithful. He has over and over again proven to be trustworthy. And while everything about this circumstance seems crazy in some ways and seems like full of risk, we're just having to totally anchor ourselves in the fact that God is faithful. That's who he is. He is good. That's who he is. It's not us being superstars. It's about showing how great God is yeah. and how good he is. And he's going to get a really great chance to show himself. Yeah, a friend of ours um, in New England, he's a, a pastor at Grace Chapel uh, in Lexington, and he told us he feels like God's told them that it's going to take a thousand lights on a thousand hills to reach New England. And when he said that, it just felt like it was something grabbed me in that statement that we wanted to we wanted to add our lives and our experience to adding lights on hills all across New England to reach people there. Would you guys help me welcome Colin and Liz Hartfield to the stage?
I get to interview you guys now. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, so uh, some of you know, like, they were part of Kensington for a long time. In fact, when that video was made, you were actually still on staff. That was about seven, about seven-ish months ago, right? Mm-hmm. About seven months ago. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of curious. Now, obviously, your story's been an amazing one. We were talking about that earlier. But when you think about your story, when you think about where you are now over the past seven months, uh, tell us, like, what's the journey been like, like, post that video? Now you've moved up there. What's the journey been like now that you're in Boston? Yeah, it's been a whole uh, series of steps where we see God just testing our faith. And uh, uh, Romans 5 says the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And it's, it's doing that, you know, it's, it's making the, the decision to step out is helping us realize, yeah, God is faithful. And he'll be fa- he was faithful then and then and then. He'll be faithful this and this and this too. Because there's a whole bunch of mountains ahead of us that we still see. And to see you know, the testing of our faith developing in this thing has been awesome, isn't it? So. For sure. Yeah, it's also been really cool how as we've taken those steps, we've started to see little surprises, little glimpses of things that we never, ever would have dreamed of that God's like, Haha, let me show off for you. <laughs> you know? I mean, even cool things like we, we didn't expect to have anybody I mean, we just, it was just us moving out there, and we were starting from scratch trying to build a laundry team. And there have been people that have joined our team in ways that it's almost like he's showing off, really. I mean, like, there's this one guy who is, he was from the Birmingham campus. He did a summer internship in worship last summer, and he's a hockey player, and he actually went hold to... On, a worship leader who's a hockey player? I know, I know. The he's, first one ever. The first, they but... wear skinny jeans? I don't know that. Sorry. Yeah. That way. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, he, he's a hockey player, and he actually got onto this really special team um, in Alaska, of all places. So he moved up there to play, and this is a big deal for him to be on this in this team. And two weeks after he moved there, he got cut from the team. And he was devastated. His family was really disappointed. But... Um, he sent me a text a few weeks later and said, hey, um, I heard you guys are in Boston, and I would love to be a part of what you guys are doing. Uh, I got transferred to another team in Bedford, Massachusetts. Is that anywhere near you guys? Sure. And, like, you guys got to know, this is a small town, okay? The fact that he got to the specific town that we are is pretty sure. wow. pretty awesome. That's yeah. That's yeah. So cool. And so he's yeah, pretty much in our lives in every way, you know. Um, and, and there's been other people that he's just kind of connected us to, people that we, we didn't necessarily expect that they would follow us there, but God sort of sent us there, sent, sent them to us sure. ahead of us, and they moved not knowing, kind of knowing, okay, I think there's a reason why I'm here, but I really don't know what it is. Sure. And as they found our team have started to just see a sense of this makes sense. This is why God's brought me here. That's so that's so just cool. been really fun. Yeah. So, okay. so I, I thought about your kids. So obviously, I mean, this is like the best family picture I think I've ever seen. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, don't tell our family that. Ours is great too. Uh, but these are, this is such a great picture. Now tell us about your kids real quick. Like how old they are. They are? Yeah, yeah this is uh, Eden on the top right. She's a sophomore in high school. Elise is eighth grade, and Micah is in sixth grade. He's, he's 11. So. Okay, so when I knew that we were going to talk, one of the questions that I had for you that we talked about a little bit was, um, you know, when it comes to kids and uprooting kids and moving from, you know, Michigan to Boston, those are completely different areas. Uh, and I actually moved. We moved my middle of my senior year of high school, and that was like a big you know, oh my goodness, that's a lot going on. And so I got to think about your kids. So what's this been like for your kids and the move and the process? And what is that, what has that been like? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Cause, uh, your situation is kind of unusual. Most of us tend to think, 
Okay, let's, let's hunker down. We're going to be here now for the duration of the kids in middle school and high school. Don't mess with those years because it's the difficult age and all the rest of it. Um, and it was, a, it was a scary thing for us. I think you caught that on the video. It's um, also one of the reasons why I think we were hesitant to even do this. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because yeah. we're thinking, well, what would happen to our kids? You know, it's, leading teenagers is hard enough without screwing it up by moving them to a place <laughs> where there's hardly any Christians yeah. and, you know, making them go through that huge transition. Yeah. Our 11-year-old, Micah, he's had a good, good uh, kind of crew of uh, buddies for the past four or five years, since kindergarten, really. And the thought of pulling him away from that was really hard. And for him, really hard. And then the day that we pulled up at the new house that we'd rented and we were waiting for the moving truck to arrive. Liz was already in the house. She, she let me and Micah in. We'd just driven over there from Michigan, uh, just the two of us. And uh, we'd been there for 20 minutes and there was a knock at the door and at the door was five 11-year-old boys um, wanting to play with him. And they're like, do you want to come out and play? And he's like, yeah, all right. And he was gone <laughs> for three hours. The next morning when... Well, later that night when he came back in, I said, okay, it's going to be a busy day tomorrow. The moving truck's arriving. You're going to be working the whole day. He says, actually, it's going to be a bit tough for me to be involved because I'm playing with my friends tomorrow morning. And so there was this, like, instantly, we just stood inside the front door and cried right. as he left. Yeah. <laughs> We're sending our kid to play with people that we've never met. But it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's actually been kind of fun because, the, like, God just knows where he puts you. He places you where he wants you. And the neighborhood that we are in is just full of families, especially 11-year-old boys. Like, we, I mean, there's just so many of those middle school-age boys. And the doorbell rings at least three times a day. We're not exaggerating on that. It's actually kind of annoying. Yeah. But, but, uh, but, but, like, there's just no shortage of, yep. of friends. Yeah, so that's been really cool. Yeah, and then and then we have a teenage daughter who is who absolutely loved the Edge program, and she's been really involved. And the idea of leaving this, she really struggled with because she was like, "Well, how could God move me away from all this, where all this great fruitful stuff is happening, and take me to a place where I'm I'm basically going to be?" You know, we were expecting she wouldn't be ever experiencing a high school youth group because we thought, you know, church planning is going to take a while before we actually have a youth right. group. And just so they, I want to make sure everybody's clear too, especially if, you know, you don't attend church, you're not a church person. When it comes to church planning, we're saying there was nothing and then you showed up and then there was a thing. There was a church, right? So there you're starting is, from there scratch. Is, there the is a beginning of a thing. Yeah. Of a thing. <laughs> and the, I mean, so we're not like, you know, we're not moving where there's already a bunch of people that are going to come and join us. Right. We are moving into an area and talking to strangers and inviting them to be a part of what we're a part of. And so, uh, it, and we don't have the fortune. Sometimes with church plants, there's another church that's sending people. We don't have that. So it is very much a, um, it's, it's, it's an extra level of challenge. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so yes, we, so one of the things that we were laying down and moving there was laying down the right to have our kids have a youth program. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, and that's as, as people who've been involved in church and been involved in leading in youth ministry for years, sure. that was like, we're never, our kids aren't going to have what we had sure. and what we've been leading for years. And so we laid that down and, um, and then just trusted God with it. And our daughter was like, I want to see what, what I can build. Like, I want to see what happens. And so she actually ended up meeting this one, I just took one relationship. She met this one other Christian girl who kind of gave her a vision of, okay, maybe together we can reach our high school. Sure. So they went into their high school and they reached, they went out and they just invited everyone they could get phone numbers for, mm -hmm. texted and invited everybody and said, hey, we're having this group at our house. Sure. 
on Wednesday night. It's going to be about Christianity, but you don't have to be a Christian to come. But if you want to know what that's about, come and join us. And she came back and told me, Mom, order six large pizzas. They're having a party. There's a lot of people that are coming. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is going to be embarrassing. And I'm feeling for my kid here going, you know, maybe we should get three, not six. You know what I mean? Like, my faith was, wasn't at the six pizza level. And um, yep. and so she was like. That's a good way to measure that. Yeah, really you know, like, I'm like, I, I can do three on my own on a good night. Right, so, but, so. but six pizzas, that's a lot of pizza. And the last thing you want is to see your teenage daughter where we moved her away from everyone she knows sitting in the living room with her one friend and six pizzas. And so uh, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. And we bought the pizzas. And sure enough, that night, there were 20 young adult, uh, high school students in our house, uh, kids that were from Jewish backgrounds, kids that have never, ever been in church before. But they were there learning about Jesus. And it was awesome. And for the last six weeks, they've consistently been meeting in our house. We probably had about 35 kids um, total in our house over the last six weeks. So, yeah, God can do stuff we can't do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, like, getting something off the ground. For those of you who are entrepreneurial people, you know, you have your own business, you know that getting started is a big deal. Uh, and, you know, obviously when it comes to planning a church, it's, it's a hard thing to do. So what are some of the challenges that, you know, you're facing right now? What are some of the ways that maybe we could partner with you and, and be a part of that? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, the, one of the first things is people. I mean, in order to, the church is, the body of Christ is people. So, you know, one of the first things that we're, we're praying that God will connect us to is people. And we've been really blown away by how, just how God will use a connection. If he gives you a little nudge, follow it. Because he will, he has been connecting us to people, but we need more people. I mean, in order to launch this well, there aren't a lot of churches out there that are like, hey, have like 20 people. Because for most churches, that's their whole congregation size. So, I mean, it's a, it's a challenge. And so um, people is a big, a big need um, in that area. Yeah. And we're trusting God to bring us at least 60 to help us launch. Yeah. And I, I want to say one thing, because I know there's a couple more ways. I want to say this, though. For those of you who are here, one of the, my favorite things about Kensington is when we've launched churches in the past, Steve will get up, Steve Andrews, and he'll say, you know what, if God's leading you to go to, you know, Orlando or if God's leading yeah. you to, you know, Boston, <laughs> it doesn't get much colder than Traverse City, so you'll be fine, right? <laughs> I think. And the thing about Great it is, candidates. you know, I think we should, you know, I think that needs to be said. Some of you are like, you know what, God might be prompting you out of nowhere to move to Boston. We sent 400 people to Orlando at one point. God may be prompting you out of Traverse City to move yeah. to Boston. That's that's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, but there's like, if you know somebody in Boston too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah. actually uh, some cases. We were at the Birmingham campus a few weeks back, and before the service was even done, somebody in the crowd had uh, texted their sister who lives in the area where we're going, and the sister had emailed us, I'm so excited that Kensington's sending a church plant to, to our area. I'm on your team, you know? Like, that is like gold for us, you know? And so, so I would be, not be shocked if people within the crowd today could say, you know what? Uh, my sister's friend's brother lives there, and I could connect you guys, and I know that they are in search of a church or something like that. And then the other thing, of course, um, in a situation like that, uh, in a situation like what we're in is that we are in a fundraising period right now. And so uh, Kensington is very much behind uh, the church plant financially, but altogether we're looking to raise about $1.2 million in pledges over the, next, over the next four years. Uh, the great news is, it, of it is that we've seen the first half of that already pledged. So we have about 600,000 pledged. 
in seven months. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the second half seems to be harder to, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, to, to be get, and, but we are absolutely trusting in God. We're seeing the faithfulness of so many people get behind this, in, even in some small ways, but they mount up. And so I'd encourage people to pray about whether uh, you could be involved in that way too. And we have, uh, that's the thing. And then we are in desperate need of people to commit to pray for us. Um, it's an area where I believe the enemy does not want the church to rise up. And so and we're facing that on a regular basis. So I'd love for as many of you as possible to sign up for our uh, e-news, our, our prayer list out in the lobby, and take information about financial support, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so in our lobby today, I want you to know, too, we have a whole table set up. There's a whole thing out there where you can get more information. You'll see the big TV with this picture on it, so that's pretty great, right? Uh, and it's pretty amazing for you just to be able to see kind of what all's going on to be a part of that and to get all the information. But I wanted us, just as a church, uh, to be able to pray for you guys, and then you guys are going to get to hear a little bit from Colin uh, before we wrap up today. So uh, let, let's come up here. I'd love to step up, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're somebody who's a follower of Jesus or you call Kensington home, I would love for you maybe just to stretch your hand forward and just as a family, uh, just pray uh, over them and continue to pray for them as well. And, uh, and yeah, we just want to pray for you before we head out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done and what you're doing. God, we know that, uh, as we sang about earlier, that this reckless love that is from you is pursuing the hearts of every person, uh, including every person in Boston. And uh, God, we know that you've sent Colin and Liz uh, to this part uh, of our country just to to be that light that he was talking about, to be one of those lights in Boston uh, that is pointing directly to you. And so, Father, we just ask that you would do something incredible uh, in and through them, uh, through this church plant. I pray that you would provide all the people that they need to get this off the ground. But we also pray that you would provide all the finances and the funding that they need as well. Uh, we know that $1.2 million is a lot of money, but at the same time, uh, we know that you can provide that at the blink of an eye. So we just ask that you would uh, give them all the finances that they need and the time that they need it, and that you would meet every single need and continue to surprise them in the ways that you surprise them uh, throughout the way. And God, we just uh, look forward to hearing all the stories of the people who come to know you through this church plant that's in Boston. Uh, we give all that to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to turn it over to Colin. Colin got a, a few things around this idea about talking about living beyond yourself and what that looks like. So, Colin, you can take it away. Well, um, Patrick mentioned a couple of times as we've gone uh, through this this morning the idea of living as a missionary, and mentioned that we sort of feel like we're living in a missionary, living as missionaries in the United States. And, and I had this thought a couple of weeks ago about what it means to be people that serve and to lay down our lives and to give what I've been calling extreme service, radical service. And it's been kind of going through my mind because I feel like in this kind of like missionary frame of mind that I'm in at the moment, my, my kind of posture and everything I do has been taking on a bit of a different shape. I've been more conscious about the way I, I, I park in parking lots and are courteous to people around me. I'm, I'm living in someone else's land. I'm listening more intently at local people and trying to understand who they are and taking on a posture of service. Uh, and uh, hopefully as time goes on, that will become a level of extreme service or, or radical service. And when you, you, you hear those words radical or extreme, you can often think of like extremism or radicalism, like the idea of somebody doing something in an extreme or radical nature that might end up costing their life. Does that sound familiar at all? Anybody you know uh, come to the world to serve in such a way that it costs them their lives? Um, that's, that's who Jesus was. Um, and I want to I share this idea that I've had that I believe that God has ways for us to serve him that will result in bringing his kingdom to earth. 
that God has ways for us to serve him that will result in bringing his kingdom to earth. If you're like me, you know, you've heard the Lord's Prayer so many times from the book of Matthew, and there's a, a phrase in there that we're to pray, your kingdom come. And as we pray your kingdom come, we're asking that God's will and God's kingdom that is always done, uh, is always done in heaven that should, will be done on earth as well. And sometimes it's through us being, in a sense, an answer to our own prayers that we, we get to see the kingdom coming to earth when we serve God in radical ways. So I want to kind of set this up by using a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 20 and, and talking about one of the accounts of Jesus and his disciples. And so let's read this together. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together, and I, I, I like this thing that Jesus does every now and then when there's a, a situation going on. He's like, I'm going to call everybody together, and we're going to use this as a bit of a teaching moment. And so you can see like the, the, the tone of the conversation sort of changes here as Jesus says, okay, uh, James and John and your mother and your ten indignant other disciples, let's get it all together. We're going to have a chat. Okay, he kind of pulls them together to sort of let them know where it's at. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And this is where the the big final moment is that Jesus brings into this conversation where he sets himself up as being the servant of all. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Have you ever been in that situation where you've been in the presence of somebody famous and you've sort of forgotten how to act? You know, you don't quite know where to put yourself or what to say. I've been, I've met a very few famous people through the course of my life. I, I remember once being on a plane and, and I helped Sinead O'Connor put her, her luggage in the, uh, uh, the, the luggage container above our heads. Uh, we were at a hotel in Austria once, a couple of decades ago, uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and his mother were there at the hotel for the whole week that we were staying there, and we kept bumping into him at the restaurant, and this kind of stuff was kind of fun, before he was uh, the, the governor and all the rest of it. Like, it was a long time ago. Two or three years ago, I got to have um, dinner with a guy named Paul Zerdin, who was the former year's winner of America's Got Talent. And um, he was the ventriloquist that had, uh, he was doing a, a show in Vegas at the time, and we, we got to meet him. But I think the most embarrassing time when I didn't quite know uh, how to act was when I was at Los Angeles Airport a couple of years ago, getting ready to fly to London for a conference that I was attending. Um, at the gate was 
somebody who was going to the same conference, but he was actually one of the, the, he was the keynote speaker of the conference, and it was Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California. If you don't know, Saddleback Church is a huge church in uh, Orange County. Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, which was like a New York bestseller, sold 50 million copies. So Rick's kind of a big deal in my world, you know? Like I I call him Rick because, of course, Rick and I are buds, you know what I mean? And, um, And what I, you know, Rick realized when he met me at the gate that day is that this is another one of those situations where one of his groupies just kind of lost it and didn't quite know how to act among the elite of this world. And you see Rick on CNN and on, you know, used to be on Larry King all the time and everything like this. And he's the one who's, who's asked for comment when there's ever a Christian issue in the country. And so me and Rick were chatting and it was, you know, two or three minutes before I realized I I hadn't even given him my name uh, and he was polite enough to find that out by which time his travel companion slash security guard, bodyguard, was getting ever closer to me just to make sure that I wasn't a complete dangerous stalker. Uh, What happens when we are in the presence of people who we sort of have no business uh, dealing with is that we, you know, often kind of somewhere between not introducing ourselves and then wanting to take a selfie, we sort of lose all control of our faculties and ability to communicate in a, in a sane kind of a way. And that happened with me and Rick that day, and I think that's what was kind of happening on this occasion when James and John's mother approaches Jesus, and she's asking for something that she has no business asking. What is it she says in verse 21? She says, Jesus little quick aside here, question for you. Grant that one of these two sons of mine, my boys, may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus is like, you know, you can imagine him drinking coffee at the time. And, you know, like, because it was just completely, it was like a completely inappropriate question to ask him. But she just blurts it out. The Bible says that uh, the other disciples were indignant at this. The other ten were indignant that uh, James and John's mother had basically gone up and asked for a first-class upgrade. You know, have you ever done that at the, at the, the check-in desk? You know, you're like, hey, I was wondering, would it be possible to um, upgrade me to first-class? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, that would be like uh, 1800 bucks." And, and yet something in you thought that you had the right to ask for a first-class seat, because 20 years ago, you heard that if you ask, you got it for free or something. And that just doesn't happen anymore, does it? But, um, but you know, so basically, these boys are asking, the mom's asking for an upgrade. The other 10 are indignant, and you think that the other 10 are just indignant because, well, why would they be asking such a stupid question? I think, because it doesn't say anything specifically, I think it's more about the case that the other 10 were indignant because... Dang it, we should have asked that question. You know, we should have got in there before um, James and John brought their mother along to do it. You know? So Jesus makes it real clear that it's not their place to be asking this question. But then he turns the conversation around a little bit. He brilliantly wraps this whole thing up by turning it into a teaching moment and to talk about what it means to have influence, what it means to have privilege. You know, here's these people that are around him that have got the privilege of knowing Jesus in an intimate way. And they think that somehow that's going to afford them a better seat in heaven. Whereas really Jesus wants to turn that whole thing on his head. We hear a lot, don't we, in our culture and our news and all the rest of it on what it means to have white male middle class privilege. And that uh, there is a whole move across the world of us of people to, to educate people to understand that that actually means something. And 
uh, and Jesus was trying to let his followers know, the people that had the privilege of being in his presence, that guess what? This privilege means something for your lives. And so as somebody who was all-powerful, somebody who could call angels down from heaven, um, he was the one who was basically the gateway to eternity. He points his finger at himself as the, as the most powerful person in the room, and he, he, he basically sets forth his posture to the world. He, he makes a statement that defines who he is, and it creates an example for every follower of Christ to come ahead of him. And he says this in verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus turned privilege and turned status on its head and said that, hey, I've come not to be served, but to serve. And I believe with all my heart today that God has ways for every single one of us to serve him that will result in the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. But that doesn't seem normal to us. In fact, I want to make this statement today. I believe that extreme service seems countercultural in our culture, in our lives. How many of you have served somebody else before? Honesty here. How many of you have served somebody else around you because you think you're going to get something back as a result? Every sing- Come on, people, let's be real. Okay, every single one of our hands should be up because we've often done that. We've often served thinking that we're going to get something out of it or what it will do for us. As a couple in, in our shoes, as a couple moving into a community um, to start a new church, it's very easy for us to think, okay, how are we going to serve this community so that we can you know, make inroads into the community rather than understand that serving is just Jesus' way of life for us. I don't know if you remember that movie Braveheart, you know, in the uh, 1990s. Mel Gibson's Braveheart, uh, portraying the character William Wallace, the revolutionary in Scotland, uh, in the the fight between Scotland and England at the time in the 12th or 13th century, I think it was. Uh, William Wallace is kind of like a uh, uh, kind of a Che Guevara kind of a character. He's this like underground revolutionary that's stirring up dissent amongst the people. And his, his goal is to free an oppressed people. And then you've got the Scottish nobility, the lords, and the, um, the, those who are knighted by the king. Um, and, and they want to re- retain power as well. So they realize the thing we've got to do is we need to bring William Wallace into our circle. We've got to knight him. We've got to make him a lord. You know, Sir William. Uh, it, it, it's a British thing. You wouldn't understand. You know, I'm still waiting for my knighthood from the queen. There's still time. I've got to think of something incredible to do before that's going to happen. But, um, you know, so they, they try to get William Wallace into their group. And then no sooner have they knighted him that a squabble breaks out amongst all these nobles and they start fighting about something completely petty. And so Wallace just looks at this whole thing and he's like, I'm out. You know, he starts to walk out. And amongst the fight, one of the nobles sees Wallace leaving and he looks up and he's like, William, William, where are you going? Like, why are you leaving? We've just knighted you for goodness sake and then you're about to take off. And what happens is that uh, William Wallace defines right there that he believes that leadership and privilege um, should create an entirely different posture for him and for them than they are portraying. And he says this, which I think is a reflection of Jesus' words in Matthew 28. He says this, Mel Gibson says in his best fake Scottish accent, he's like, there's a difference between us. You think 
the people of this country exist to provide you with a position. I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. And I go to make sure that they have it. If we were to dig deep into what I think Jesus' intent was when he said the Son of Man comes to serve, not to be served, I think that would reshape all of our churches. We would look like totally different people. When did we get this idea that we could take on the name of Jesus, we could take the name follower of Christ or Christian, but not live our lives out in the posture that Jesus did when he served the world? Church leader, friend of mine in Boston said to me, what service will you provide for your community before you have the audacity of asking your community to come to your service? Extreme service is countercultural. It's not what we expect. And I want to say something else about extreme service as well. And that's this. I want to say that extreme service is the gospel. It was the posture that Jesus came to the world in as a servant. 1 John uh, chapter 3 says this. It says, this is how we know what love is. This, is. this is how we know what love is. Do you catch this? That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, served us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Look, look at who this is talking to. This is talking to the privileged. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? But let us not love with words or speech, but let us love with actions and with truth. Quite honestly, for myself, I would much rather love with uh, words and speech. It's a lot easier, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you, don't you wish that this part was like, you know, it would finish early um, and that we could just love with words and speech? Actions and truth is so much harder. That's the hardest verse for me. You know, I grew up in a, um, uh, a fairly small, tight uh, church in England. We used to call it, I used to call it like a fundamental church. Um, and some of you may know what that means. In our case, it was a lot more of the mental in the fundamental than it was the fun, you know? So and I think they're all like that, aren't they? But, um, you know, it was one of those churches where it's like suit and tie, church on Sunday morning, church on Sunday evening, twice in a week, stand up, sit down, hymns, you know, uh, very, you know, classic looking building, piano on the one side of the stage, organ on the other, uh, Bible thumping. We're all about seeing converts and seeing, you know, my mum had this posture about her. She's passed away now, but she was all about seeing souls saved. You know, this was the, this was the, the, the spiritual way to be. Um, and it was all about, now I'm, I'm all about people coming to Christ. Don't get me wrong. But she would kind of look down and our church would look down on anybody that did anything other than preach, preach, preach. Because in their view, living the, the Christian life um, in such a way that you serve the poor, or you serve the marginalized, or you serve your brother and your sister, or you serve the needy, seemed to be what she would call the social gospel. And that was considered less than in, in her world, in her words. You know, I believe that extreme service is the gospel. Extreme service is the way through which we, uh, we reach the people around us. Imagine if, like through all the hurricanes that we've just had through this summer, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria, and the other one, and the, the, that if, if it became so prevalent that followers of Christ all across our nation 
just went down in droves to meet those needs, that the media could do nothing but report, you would be amazed at how many churches, not just the traditional ones like the the Salvation Army, but how many Christians and how many churches have just come to the aid of their brothers and sisters. I wonder if this is the kind of armies that we need to put together in the future in order to reach our world and to let our nation see that we are coming to serve. Where is God asking you to serve him? I want to say one other thing as well about extreme service, and that's this. I think extreme service could become normal for us. Extreme service in our lives laid down could become the norm for us. During the time of King David, uh, David had a group of people that were in the Bible named, called his mighty men, David's mighty men. These were, the, these were the elite of David's army. Obviously, he had a very powerful army, but these were sort of the probably the Navy SEALs of, of that period of time. And there was 33 of these guys known as David's mighty men who did incredible exploits because they were absolutely 100% committed to serving the king and serving the kingdom. And I just want to like read a couple of these guys' stories to you because they're like absolute rock stars as servants. So let's see, see this first one. As one of the three mighty warriors, Eleazar was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pass Damien for battle. But Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord God brought about a great victory that day. So Eleazar's such a rock star that he not only was out killing Philistines on behalf of the king and the kingdom, but it was so cold that he didn't take his hand off um, in between killing people and his hand froze to the sword. You would think that a a guy serving alongside other warriors could, you know, could we get some backup here or something? It's a little chilly. Um, Eleazar uh, was prepared to fight and to prepare to work for his king until it froze his hand to his sword. Look at this other guy. Next to him, next to him was Shema, the son of Agi the Hararite. If you're about to have a baby, I dare you to name him Agi the Hararite. That'd be a great name, but... Um, Agi the Harrah, it's not such a common name these days. But anyway, when the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field of lentils. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, this, is, this seems to be proof to me that the Bible doesn't have much of an agenda. It wasn't trying to uh, prove itself, uh, prove anything by itself, because if it was trying to prove something, you would have said, oh, uh, Shammah took his stand in a field full of hundreds of cattle that would have fed the army for months. You know, Shammah was defending a field of lentils, you know? This seems, what are they, vegans or something? Like, it seems like an odd thing to be mentioned in the scriptures. But Shammah knew that he had a place to bring God radical service that would have a huge cost on his part, but it was going to bring about a great victory. Shammah was defending lentils, for goodness sake. Remember that? Remember when George W. Bush was president, he had that thing like, you know, no child left behind was one of his, like, what about, like, no lentil left behind? Not on my watch. These lentils right here are all going to remain and you will not uh, take them from us because this was the source of sustenance for the army. And he protected the lentils because that was what God had called him to do. Basically, Eleazar and Shammah had one goal, and that was to make God's name great. They were to do nothing else but to serve king and kingdom to make God's name great. 
Let me tell you this. In every church that I've ever been a part of, I've been in three churches in my life, I can think of lists of people who I would look up to and I would look up to them because of the extremeness of their levels of service. They would serve with absolutely everything that they've got. Psalm 84.10 says this, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. King David said, I would rather take the lowest position in God's house than take a privileged position elsewhere. So I want to ask you today, where is the place where you believe God is going to uh, direct you to bring extreme levels of service that will bring heaven to earth? Maybe it's in your community. Maybe it's in local government. Maybe it's in the schools. Maybe it's right here at Kensington. Maybe it's uh, in town activities or sports activities where you become known as the radical servant that reflects who Jesus is. I want to ask you to think about that and pray about that. Where, God, where are you asking me that question? A couple of weeks ago, we had Halloween, of course. And um, a few days before Halloween, one of our neighbors in our new uh, subdivision where we're living out in the Boston area said to us, you know what, you need to get 12 bags of candy because everybody in this town comes to this neighborhood for Halloween. I'm like, what? This sounds ridiculous, you know? Um, but she said, no, no, it's because... This is one of the, flu, the few neighborhoods that has uh, streetlights and sidewalks uh, in this part of the town. And we're like, ah, she might be onto something. So as new people in the neighborhood and, and coming to meet neighbors and church plant, we thought, we're going we're gonna to big this thing up a little bit, you know. So we rented a cotton candy machine, and uh, like you do on Halloween, like nobody does, but it means that people have to stay for a while in your driveway and that kind of stuff. Opened up our garage and played music and showed, you know, the great pumpkin from Charlie Brown. We put that on our old projector above our garage door. And in that evening, we, had, we ended up with between 250 and 300 people in our driveway that we met. We have a picture of this um, just to kind of show you a little bit of, uh, uh, of what it looked like and... It was an absolute joy for a family like ours who are coming in to get to know our neighbors and hopefully not be known as the new religious freaks to, to share in just a community holiday, just have fun with people and, and just go all out hospitality and actually, I think, serve our community. It took me two days to put this whole thing together. At the end of the night, I went to bed, not so much patting myself on the back for a great night that we'd had, although we were kind of exhilarated. But I went to get to bed with this sense of repentance in my own heart, thinking, why haven't I done this for the last 15 years? Why did it take me having to move 750 miles to have more of a posture of a missionary and a servant that God wanted me to have the whole time I was living in Detroit? And I had to take a step backwards and realize that I'd just viewed something like that as an opportunity for my kids to go off and get free candy. Whereas I could have viewed it as an opportunity for me to serve and for me to offer something of the love of Christ to our community. I want to bring a final thought to you, a final challenge, and I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. A little while ago, I was flying over here and I got up, upgraded to the, uh, not to first class or anything like that, I got upgraded to the exit rows. You ever been in an exit row? Those things are awesome, aren't they? That extra 10 inches of leg room just feels great. But there's a price to that. Now, I didn't pay any money for it, but they want to know 
You kind of don't really know what you're signing up for when you commit to it. They want to know that when you sit in the exit row, you will be willing to aid in the event of an evacuation of the plane. That could result in you being the last out. It could be result, result in you getting hurt or having to put everybody else ahead of yourself. At the end of the day, it could actually cost you your life if other people get off a sinking plane and down onto those, those bouncy things before you do. And yet they want to know, listen, if you're getting like 10 inches of legroom out of this, we need some kind of commitment that you are ready to, uh, you know, ready to serve. And so what, I don't know if this is a recent thing with Delta, but they start, I've just noticed that they're doing this. They're saying, will you be willing to serve? And then from each of the three people on either side of the plane, they're like, I need a verbal yes. They're like, they want you to say, yes, I will. Like, it's like, will you? Yes, yes. Yeah, there's always one guy who's always is like asleep by then. Do you know what I mean? He's like, for goodness sake, I'm in the exit row. Can I have a nap, you know? And the, she's like, I need a verbal yes. And so she's like waking this guy up and like he's got to say yes. Because they want to know that if you're going to sit in this privileged position, they want to know that you are going to be faithful to commit the calling that you've been given that day. So I want to, at the end of this talk today, I want to ask every single one of us, and I will not go seat by seat because you will want to go to lunch. But I, won't, I, I do want to ask you this question. After this challenge this morning, will you begin or to continue to ask the Lord to direct your steps in areas that he would have you serve in such a way that will bring his kingdom to earth? I need a verbal yes. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of who you are. We could never begin to fully understand the depths of your grace and all that you have done for us. To think of you as somebody that came as a servant is just beyond our imagination. But I just pray that as this crowd even makes this commitment before they even in a sense, know what they're, they're signing up for because I believe you're going to continue to, to share that with us. I pray that we will step into areas of service in your kingdom that will result in heaven coming to earth. And I pray these things today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Will you guys help me thank Collins for coming? So before you head out, uh, when it comes to Colin's message about uh, taking that posture of service and really uh, loving people and loving people in the ways that God has called us to do it, uh, we wanted to give you one specific action step here at our church that we feel like you can maybe take a next step in. Uh, So real quick, I'm kind of curious, how many of you uh, at some point or another have been volunteering at our church? Real quick, I'm just kind of curious so I can kind of see if you are a volunteer here. That's fantastic. Uh, So a lot of you volunteer week in and week out. We have so many different opportunities for you to be a part of that and for you to do that. Uh, But here's what I would say. When it comes to serving and when it comes to being a part of this, coming into December is a big, big time here at our church just because of the number of people that don't usually attend that do attend. And so here's my challenge. If you've never taken a step towards volunteering, if you've never taken a step towards being a part of that, we're not asking you to volunteer on a massive kind of every week sort of thing. But what we would love to ask you to do if you'd call Kensington home is here through December as we get towards Christmas, uh, we would ask you to consider uh, volunteering in one of our environments. And when it comes to the Christmas Eve services, our K-Kids and 
and our guest services teams are the two areas that we have the biggest need for people uh, to volunteer. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You have a card on your seat. I'd love you to pick up that card real quick. Kind of look at that. Um, Now, as you're looking at that, if you have a smartphone, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have a smartphone, I'm going to ask you to put that card down and pretend that it's not there, right? So if you have a smartphone, throw that out. Now, there's a website that I would love for you to go to. It would take, uh, again, about 15 seconds for you to do, but it's called volunteer at kensington.com, volunteer at kensington.com. And here's what we ask you to do. If you're interested in being a part or taking your first step towards volunteering or being a part of this, uh, you can go to volunteer at kensington.com. It's going to ask you like three questions uh, and just kind of give you an opportunity to say, hey, here's some of the areas that I might volunteer in. There's a, a drop-down list. You can kind of choose which one most interests you, and then one of our team will contact you and kind of kind of update you on opportunities that you might might have to volunteer as we move towards uh, this Christmas season. But we feel like kind of out of that, it's a great opportunity for you to step into something that could really be life-changing for you uh, and your family. So volunteer at kensington.com. You can do that today um, and sign up in that way um, as you would. So uh, the last thing I want to let you know about is next week we start a brand new series as we move into our Christmas season. Uh, so this series is really going to start guiding us into what we're going to be talking about on Christmas Eve. So we'd love to invite you back next week uh, and then to be considering who it is that God might be prompting you to invite for our Christmas services uh, that will begin pretty soon uh, in a couple of weeks. And then the last thing, if it's your first time, we would love to connect with you. We'd love to meet you today. Uh, we have an environment called Starting Point. It's right out in the lobby. Uh, you can kind of connect with us out there. Or if you'd like to meet uh, Colin and Liz, they have a booth out there as well where they're kind of outlining everything going on with Movement Boston. Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you right back here next Sunday. Thank you so much for watching online. You're part of a growing online community when it comes to our church, and we're so thankful that you're a part of it. Uh, We wanted to extend the invite to you as well. Uh, If you're in the Metro Detroit area here in Traverse City or in Orlando, we would love to invite you uh, specifically to one of our Christmas Eve services at one of those campuses. You'll be one of about 50,000 people that are attending one of those churches, and we would love to invite you uh, to be a part because we'd love to meet you in person. Uh, You can do that, but you can also watch all of those services online as well. Uh, We'd love for you to connect in that way. Uh, if you'd like, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all of the updated information about the things happening here at our church. Thanks again so much for watching, and we'll see you right back here next Sunday.